السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وبرايزز جوت الله ما في peace and blessings be upon his beloved prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم to my dear brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to another installment of our live stream broadcast. Insha'Allah, discussing um, you know beneficial issues for this ummah. Insha'Allah, Taala. Today, Bismillah, our topic will be around the Eid of Al-Adha, the Eid of Sacrifice, and the lessons that we can extract from Ibrahim alayhi salam and the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam, including uh, that of Hajar. May Allah be pleased with her and his son Ismail. As you're all aware, we're currently in the blessed first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. Tonight, which is Thursday night, um, is the ninth night of Dhul Hijjah, followed tomorrow by the ninth day, also known as the day of Arafah. And unfortunately, because of the COVID situation currently gripping the world, uh, this year things are a little bit different with regards to Hajj and with regards to um, all the activities that the Ummah normally engages in around this time of year. Uh, normally, a lot of our brothers and our sisters and our family members and friends would be on their Hajj journey right now. They would be responding to their Creator, um, fulfilling one of the pillars of Islam, seeking to wash away their sins. But unfortunately, this year it is not the case um, due to those uh, international restrictions. Um, but the story of Ibrahim salam is greatly associated with Hajj because the origin of Hajj is as old as the Kaaba itself, uh, which was built by Ibrahim salam and his son Ismail. And every act of Hajj reminds us of the noble family of Ibrahim since many rites of Hajj that we undertake when we are there refer back to the righteous actions and the struggle of either Ibrahim, Hajar or Ismail um, and through the life of Ibrahim also known as Khalilullah Khalilullah which is the friend and beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we're taught many lessons which uh, become examples for us the life of Ibrahim and indeed all of the prophets are filled with sacrifices for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when we look at the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam, they're so, they're so innumerous, um, whether we're talking about, you know, from the struggle against society, including his close family and relatives, including, you know, a, a mushrik father, um, to being placed in a fire, remaining patient for nearly a century without a child, or he's migrating with his wife and, and a newborn child into a barren desert with no one around, leaving them there, um, or his wife Hajar, accepting to be left alone in a desert with no supplies or any signs of life, and even Ibrahim returning only to be commanded to sacrifice his only child at the time. So all of these you can see in the life of Ibrahim salam. There, there are many examples for us, um, and, and these examples are, are qualities which we should seek to emulate because they reaffirmed um, in the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and through throughout the, the text of the Quran and the Sunnah. And so while there are so many examples to go through, inshallah, I'll only reflect on four main ones. Right? In, in trying to keep it short and, and really light today without uh, to, you know, exceedingly making it you know, deeper than it needs to be, we want to draw upon lessons to make it beneficial to our lives and how we can benefit from it. And, and obviously being two days away from, or one, one day um, away from um, Eid al-Adha, the Eid of Sacrifice, 
um, I believe it's a, it's a really timely reminder, inshallah. Uh, look, the first example I wanted to go through to allow us to extract a lesson from was as Ibrahim salam was growing up, uh, you know, he saw his father and those around him both create idols and worship idols. Um, and Ibrahim salam from a very early age, he rejected them and rejected these actions. And he would discuss with his father um, and point out that the idols can neither benefit or bring harm to them. So how in the world could you worship them? So he would challenge his father and those around him on the worshipping of idols and the creation of idols. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, he details many of these discussions. But in these discussions, we see an excellent example of behavior uh, of a pious son towards a deviated father. And this is the lesson I want to draw, the first lesson I want to draw tonight. Uh, despite this, uh, he continued to warn, he continued to uh, bring arguments to try to convince him and others of their errors and their erroneous ways and erroneous concepts to worship idols besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is very clearly shirk, right? This is a simple term for it, which is shirk and associating partners besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But from an early age, Ibrahim alayhi salam would engage in that debate and in that discussion. But he would do it in the best and the most polite and the most wisest of ways. Um, and Islam calls us to undertake this obligation of da'wah and the protection of one's family. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Ya ayyuhaladzina amanu, qul anfusakum wa ahlikum nara, wa quduhan nasu wal hijara. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe, protect and save yourselves and your families from the hellfire whose fuel is men and stones. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands all the believers, all human beings really, to, to protect and save yourself and your families from the Nara of Jahannam, whose fuel is men and stones. And say Ibrahim alayhi salam, in, in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a prophet of Allah, as a muwahid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as all prophets were, um, would continuously try to, to, to engage and challenge his father, make his father think in order to invite him uh, to Islam and away from the worshipping or the creation of idols. And the Prophet ﷺ was in, in the same vein, did this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him in the Quran, he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet ﷺ and he said, And Muhammad, warn your closest kindred and family. Right, first and foremost. And we saw Prophet ﷺ, he engaged and spoke to Khadija, invited her to Islam, and Ali, his younger cousin, and, and uh, his servants, and then his closest friends like Abu Bakr and so on. And then he turned towards his uncles. You know, uh, even inviting, you know, um, you know, Hamza and uh, Abu Talib, even though Abu Talib was not to believe. So Ibrahim's example here is reaffirmed in Surah Al-Ankabut, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَوَصَيْنَا الْإِنسَانَ بِوَالِدَيْهِ husna," And we have enjoined upon mankind to deal with his, um, with his, his parents justly and uh, with obedience and goodness. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he commands this, right, of all, of all people, to, uh, regardless of whether Muslim or non-Muslim. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, we have enjoined upon mankind goodness to his parents. And the ayah continued, but if they try, try to make an associate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that which you have no knowledge, so if they try to bring something haram in or convince you to do something haram or to believe in something haram, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا 
do not obey them in that. But it does not negate the good treatment of them. So here Ibrahim السلام, in his wonderful example, continuous and you see the discussions being had with him if you go through all the verses, which is beyond really the scope. We want to draw the lesson. Um, the importance of dealing with your family, especially your parents, with humility and kindness and goodness, even if they went to the extent of creation of idols or supporting the idol worshippers, etc., or even idol worshippers themselves. Um, but everyone has their rights. So your parents have their rights in that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permits for them. And when they encroach upon the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no, do not obey them. Not to attack them, not belittle them, not you know say off to them. All of this is impermissible for us. So we have a beautiful example in Ibrahim alayhi salam. But still, mercy, respect, and compassion is required when we have these discussions. You know, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, I asked the Messenger of Allah which deed is best, which action is best. And the Prophet Muhammad said, praying on time. In this instance, he said, praying on time. Then he said, and then which one comes after that? And he said, Birr al-Walidain. He said, it is righteousness towards a parent. And righteousness here talks about fulfilling all the rights and, and lowering the wings of humility towards them um, and seeking Jannah and guidance for them above all things. So while you want health for your parents and while you want a good amount of sustenance and wealth and, and a home and comfort for them, the most important thing you should want for them is guidance and hidayah. And so Ibrahim السلام, never lost sight of that, neither did any of the other prophets that came uh, before or after him. But on the occasion of Eid, because we're in you know, the Eid festivities in time, we'll take the opportunity, inshallah ta'ala, to extend it a little bit further and remind ourselves of the actual importance of uh, Sirat al-Raham, which is the maintaining family ties of kinship. Um, and this was stressed by the Prophet Muhammad So during this time of Eid, I'll, I'll give you just a, a quick reminder that the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, he said, the one who severs the ties of kinship, in other words, with the family ties, then he will never enter paradise if you sever it. You know, one uh, another hadith of the Prophet he asked the companions, who is the one who uh, maintains the ties of, ties of kinship? Um, and he specifically mentioned that it is not the one that maintains good relations with a relative who returns the favor back to you. Rather, it is the one who maintains good relations with the relative who has cut you off. That is the one who gets the highest degree of Sirat al-Raham and the highest reward for that. So during this time of Eid, it is a time really to come back together. You know, the Ummah is suffering, you know, the world is upside down, the enemies of Islam are working day and night to... to, to, to um, you know, divide the ummah. Um, above all things, really, we need to make sure we are close to our family, to our relatives, to our cousins. Um, if someone has done something uh, to upset you, either let it go or discuss it openly without uh, bickering and fighting about the matter. Resolve the dispute. Help your brother against the shaitan and do not help the shaitan against your brother. So really put arrogance and pride and keep it away, inshallah ta'ala. So that's a really good lesson for us, bismillah. The second important lesson we want to draw from the life of Ibrahim السلام, around this issue is the importance of debate mastery. What do I mean by that? Uh, you know, one of the qualities and the important qualities of Ibrahim السلام, is his debating skills in his possession of a strong argument. And this was 
visible throughout his life from a young age in his discussion with, with his father or later on in life. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about him, وَتِلْكَ حُجَّتُنَا أَتَيْنَاهَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ عَلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and such was our strong argument which we gave Ibrahim against his people. And through this, we raise people in rank, through the ability and, and, and debate and the mastery of the, of the language and arguments to convince others and to destroy falsehood and false ideas. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, verily Allah is most wise and all-knowing. But you might ask the question, okay, is this skill, debate mastery, is this guided by wahi revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his prophets, or is it something that can be learned? And there are many examples throughout the Qur'an and the sunnah, including the stories of the previous prophets, um, including where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself draws Human beings, not just the Muslims, but draws human beings with lessons and, and ideas to contemplate and to think um, and, and to look. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, throughout the Quran, you'll find, Afala ta'akilun, afala tadhakarun, afala tanzurun. Right? Do you not look? Do you not think? Do you not contemplate? Do you not look around you? Like, come to the realization that there exists Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa min ayatihi, etc., etc., etc. You will find many verses along these lines. So, definitely. These examples are for, for us to learn from. And the more that you come across, and the more that you think about, and the more that you dwell upon, and the more that you research, strengthens your ability to, to argue and to debate the matters for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. For example, the following debate between Ibrahim alayhi salam and Namrud was a very good one and a good example of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Baqarah, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِي حَاجَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ فِي رَبِّهِ so he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Have you not thought about the man who disputed with Ibrahim about his Lord? Because Allah gave him the power to rule. Talking about Namrud, who was a, a rich and powerful king at the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam. If qala Ibrahimu, Rabbi ladhi yuhyi wa yumit. Qala ana uhyi wa umit. So Ibrahim said to him, My Lord is the one who gives life and, and takes life. So the man replied, but hang on, I'm the one who gives life and takes life. And so in some of the narrations of this, that there was a narration that he had, he asked to prove his, his position. He, he asked for two um, people who were basically on death row, who had been given a, you know, a punishment of death, ready, they're waiting to, to be killed for the, as a punishment, to be brought forward to him. And he said, look, this one I will let go, and this one I will enact his punishment. So he dies, and he gives life. Therefore, I'm the one who takes life, and I'm the one who giveth life, subhanAllah. So Ibrahim salam said, قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْتِي بِالشَّمْسِ مِنَ الْمَشْرِقِ فَأْتِي بِهَا مِنَ الْمَغْرِبِ So he said to him, okay. Not okay, it's actually part of a discussion. The scholars, when they talk about this, they, some of them said, no, it's actually conditional. They're linked together. So they said, he said, my Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the one who raises the sun from its east. So why don't you raise it from the west? And the one who disbelieved was dumbfounded. He was silent. He could not respond. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not guide, never guides those who are oppressors. And so the response that we find in this ayah, in this incident, was that Ibrahim salam would say to him, you claim that it is you who brings life and death. You claim it, right? But the one who brings life and death is the one who controls the existence of all things and he creates whatever is in it, including its planets, its solar system, the sun and the moon. So because the sun rises every day from the east, therefore you who claim to be a god should be able to make it rise from the west. And because the king was very much aware of his weakness and inadequacy in this argument, he was not able to reply to Ibrahim salam's request. He was idle, he was silent, and he was dumbfounded as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes him. And Muslims can learn a lot from this debate. Yani, we need to always seek the best and the strongest and the clearest arguments which have to be convincing to others. Right now, there are many arguments uh, throughout the society against Islam and the Muslims out there. And we must be able to intellectually provide a counter-argument and refute and challenge any false narratives that are out there. And there are plenty to choose from. And, and they're all working day and night to try undermine Islam and undermine the faith that uh, young Muslims especially have in their Islam and the trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ideas around you know, secular liberalism and, and all the, 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 the freedoms that come with it or the ideas around democracy or LGBT and homosexuality um, or calling for, you know, and trying to show seeds of doubt around the Sharia or Islam's treatment of women um, or around hijab or the hudud and a punishment set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So basically it's really a battle for the hearts and the minds and we need to be offering Islam as an alternative and as the truth. Uh, but to do that really you need to be able to, to, to pick apart and unpack the arguments that are out there and offer the alternative as the Prophet Muhammad did throughout Mecca and, and, and the rest of his blessed life. So that was the second point and the second lesson that we wanted to take away. The third lesson, inshallah ta'ala, from the life of Ibrahim salam was around you know, the story itself of Ibrahim, Hajar and Ismail. You know, when Sarah, who was the first wife of Ibrahim salam, was unable to have children, Ibrahim salam made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a child. And he said, Rabbi habli min as-salihin, O Allah, please grant me a righteous son, in Surah Al-Safat. And it happened that Sarah, may Allah be pleased with her, she offered her husband to Hajar in marriage, and so they became married. So Ibrahim salam was now married to Sarah and Hajar. And soon after, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in the Quran, فَبَشَرْنَاهُ بِغُلَامٍ حَلِيمٍ And then we gave him glad tidings and good news of a forbearing child, a boy that, 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 um, that will be given birth to. So Hajar gave birth to his firstborn son, Ismail, when Ibrahim salam was 86 years of age. So 86 years of age. Ask yourself, my brothers and sisters in Islam, how dear would your child be to you if you waited 86 years to have him after dua and patience and perseverance? You know, we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created human beings with needs and instincts. And one of those instincts is the procreational instinct, the seeking to, to, to have offspring. 
and children and, and, and child rearing and, and continue the family lines. Yeah, this is part of the human instinct which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And you find sometimes in a society those who may be struggling to have children, especially in the first few years or five years or ten years of marriage. And subhanAllah, when if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would bless them with a child, you would see how happy they are and how happy the immediate family and the extended family and their friends are for this person. Because it is part of you know the yearning that human beings have. And so everyone becomes happy for these this couple. So imagine Ibrahim salam, 86 years passes and he doesn't have a child until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him Ismail. And the name Ismail itself comes from the root word of Samia, which is to hear because, you know, some of the scholars they said because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard and responded and answered the dua of Ibrahim salam. And Ibn Abbas, when he talks about what happens thereafter, what happens now that Hajar and Ismail now go on a journey and they travel to the lands of what we know as Mecca today. Ibn Abbas narrates that Ibrahim brought Hajar and her son Ismail while she was still suckling him. So he was a very small infant at the time to a place near the Kaaba under the tree around the area of what is now known as Zamzam wells, the wells of Zamzam. And during those days, he continues to say, during those days, there was nobody in Mecca, nor was there any water. So he made them sit there and he placed near them a leather bag with some dates and a little bit of water of what they had. So it was a leather pouch, a water skin, and it came and it contained some water. And then he set about homeward. So Ibrahim salam, after he placed Hajar and Ismail in the middle of this barren desert with no one around and you couldn't see food or water anywhere, he turned around and he started heading back home. And so Ismail's mother, Hajar, may Allah be pleased with her, she followed. She followed him. She put the child down and she followed him. She ran after him. She said, Ibrahim, oh Ibrahim, where are you going? Leaving us in this valley where there is no person or company we may enjoy. There's no one around that we can interact with, nor is there anything to enjoy or food or sustenance or, or fruits or, 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 or water. And she repeated this multiple times to him and he continued to walk. And some of the scholars said that he refused to look back towards her and Ismail out of fear that his heart would incline and the shaitan would try to get the better of him. In other words, how can you do this to them? Go back, support them, stay with them. But instead he continued. But this is the beautiful part of this story. Hajar, may Allah be pleased with her. She continued to ask him. She said, she, said, she thought about it and she said, Ibrahim, has Allah ordered you to do this? And he said, yes. So she said, then he will not neglect us. SubhanAllah. He will not neglect us. And so she returned to her child while Ibrahim proceeded on his way. So here we want to draw the immense tawakkul and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Hajar had exhibited. And Ibrahim had exhibited because the servant must rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything. And this is a matter which is a matter of uh, to be seen in the actions, but also in the hearts and the mind. You know, it is of no benefit if someone utters, right, or, or says that he has tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he states it without any real conviction. It is of no benefit to him. But if we stop on this point, we need to really. Um, make a distinction between tawakkul and let's, let's, let's unpack the idea a little bit 
and, and working according to someone's means. So the physical actions required to undertake a particular action. You know, there are two separate issues. And a lot of the time in discussions with people, this is where a lot of the confusion arises, right? They might ask, because I go to work to seek employment, does that mean I have no tawakkul and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No, obviously that's not the case. Because rizq is written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is provided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who commanded you and asked you and requires from you to go out and to look for work and to do your best. And this is throughout the Quran and the Sunnah. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he asks you to do the work, but what you attain of risk and sustenance as a result of it, right, comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why there is absolutely no link between the amount of effort you put in and how much you get of your sustenance and your risk. You find some people who never worked a day in their life, but they inherited millions of dollars. Others would work in very difficult and harsh conditions in the burning sun, physical manual labor. They put in a lot of effort, but they would only earn a few coins or a few dollars in a single day, depending where we're at. While others would sit in an air-conditioned office, write a few emails, send a few, you know, hold a few conferences and earn much more than that. So there is no correlation between your effort and your risk, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hides from us of what he has written. So we need to be clear on these points. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he obliged us to have, he obliged the believers and, and, and mankind to have tawakkul and trust in Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And have trust and put your place in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the hay, the ever living, the one who never dies. And in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, And he is our protector, and in Allah let the believers place their trust. A commandment by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and there's a beautiful hadith, uh, beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, whoever leaves his house in the morning, and he says this dua, he says, Bismillahi tawakaltu ala Allah, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. So he says, in the name of Allah, I place my trust in Allah. There is no power and might other than that of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it will be said to him by the angels, Go forth, you have been protected, guided, and, and looked after. And it is said, after a while, the shaitan, one of the shaitan will be walking in the street and he'll come across another one, another shaitan, and he'll be really upset and he'll say to him, what am I supposed to do with someone who's been guided, protected, and looked after? SubhanAllah. To show you how the importance of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your wakil, as your protector, as your maintainer, as your sustainer. And this is why we say this du'a, we encourage to say this du'a every time we leave our homes. And the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu himself, he used to place his trust in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala all the time, but at the same time he used to act physically according to his means. So he would wear armor on a battlefield. Okay, if you put your trust in Allah, and Allah is the one who protects you, why would you wear armor? Right? Because Allah asks you to do what's on your behalf, Right, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that will either um, bring you protection or perceived harm. But for the Muslim, we see this is reward. So, being harmed on a battlefield is martyrdom, it's the highest level of, of Jannah for those who, who, who are martyred on a battlefield. So, Rasulullah used to wear the armor, but that does not negate his understanding of the wakul and his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He also allowed the Sahaba to migrate to Abyssinia to escape the persecution. Right? So, he did actions and he allowed the companions to do actions to, to soften the blow, to, to escape persecution, to remove themselves from harm's way. 
Um, and he also sought protection from his uncle Abu Talib. Um, while knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is his protector. And there's a lot of beautiful examples in the Hijrah. So I know we're coming towards the, the end of the, 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 the Hijri calendar. But in the migration of the Prophet from Mecca to Medina, he put Ali in his bed to trick the enemies of Islam. Yeah, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the protector. Allah mentions in the Quran, Wallahu ya'asimuka minan nas. Allah will protect you from all mankind. But here it's a lesson, it's a teach, it's a lesson to teach us to act according to the means. So here, Rasulullah he placed Ali in the bed to trick the kuffar. He hired a guide to help them on their path. He exited the city of Mecca from itself to go around instead of going directly towards Al Madinah, Al Munawwara from the north. Right? So he undertook all of these actions. Um, and we saw Abu Bakr on the journey taking all sorts of precautions. And the Prophet ﷺ was pleased with Abu Bakr doing this. And one of the best examples of this tawakkul is that when they reached the cave in which they would hide from the enemies, Abu Bakr Siddiq asked the Prophet ﷺ to stand outside. And he told him, please don't walk in until I go and check to make sure there's nothing harmful in there, Ya Rasulullah. So he went in and he checked every nook and every cranny, every hole to make sure there were no snakes, no spiders and no scorpions. And then he came out to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Tadal Ya Rasulullah, you can go in now. And then he remembered there was one hole, he didn't actually check it properly. So he asked him, let me go check it one more time. Checked and came back and then they entered. So they stayed there for a number of nights. And they saw at one point the enemies pass by. And it was a low part of the cave and they could see the feet and the horses and the hooves uh, pass by. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was petrified. He was frightened. And the Prophet ﷺ noticed this. And he asked him, what's wrong? And he said, Ya Rasulullah, if they just look down at the level of their feet, they will see us and this message of Islam is finished. This message is gone. We're gone. And after doing everything which was upon them, all the, all the acts to protect themselves, to trick the enemy, to arrive at the cave, to hide in the cave, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ placed his hands on the chest of Abu Bakr. He said, What do you say, Abu Bakr, about the two whom Allah is their third companion? Who can harm us after this? And I would have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani, who can harm if Allah is our partner? Who can bring uh, a benefit if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't willed it? So very, very clearly it was a brilliant example of tawakkul. And this was uh, you know, the example of Hajar, may Allah be pleased with and Ibrahim alayhi salam. Um, and a really good point that we want to take away from this also is that Hajar was asking Ibrahim, where are you going? Are you leaving us? She was confused. And it wasn't until she thought deeply and she said, wait a second, we know, I know my, my husband is a prophet of Allah. He's a prophet of Allah. And so she asked, are you doing this because Allah commanded you? And he said, yes. And her heart was filled with tranquility. And she says, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not harm us, nor will he neglect us. And so the beautiful thing here is for the Muslims to understand that before we accept or reject any idea or action, we refer it to the Quran and Sunnah. This is critical for the believers, especially in a day and age where we are being bombarded with ideas and actions which are not from Islam or alien to Islam and they're being injected into the Muslim psyche. And so this is really a critical point. Yani the Prophet Muhammad 
Also, we saw in the Sunnah a beautiful example of this in the Battle of Badr. In as the Prophet ﷺ came with the army to the wells of Badr, he asked the army to sit down and they will camp in. This is where they will meet the enemy. So one of the companions had a different idea. He was a tactician of war. He was very skilled in warfare. And he had a better idea. But instead of jumping forward and saying, Ya Rasulullah, I've got a better idea than your one. Let's go do this. He asked first, he said, Ya Rasulullah, this position that you've put us in and you've set the camp up, is this wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is it just a tactic of war, an opinion? Because if it was from Allah, he would do exactly as Hajar alayhi salam did. In other words, saying Allah knows best, Allah and his Prophet know best and I have no say in the matter, even if I do not understand it. And so Hajar alayhi salam, she did not understand it, but that's all she needed to know. She needed to know that this was a commandment from Allah and that level of trust and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was a brilliant example for us. So this companion said, okay then Ya Rasulullah, allow me to offer an alternative which will be better for the army and worse for the enemies. And the Prophet ﷺ heard that idea and he moved the army towards the, towards the wells of, uh, of Badr. So it's a brilliant example for us. The last example inshallah ta'ala and the last lesson I want to draw from, um, you know, the life of Ibrahim salam is the order and the command to sacrifice his son Ismail. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in the Quran, he said, and when Ismail was old enough to walk with Ibrahim, you know, to walk with him, he said to him, he said, oh my son, verily I have seen a dream that I will sacrifice you. And we know the dreams of the prophets, they are commandments, a wahi and revelation. So let me see what are your thoughts on this matter. So Ibrahim asked him to give him a chance. Well, look, what are your thoughts? Because Ibrahim found it very difficult. He found it difficult to raise the topic with his son. I'm going to sacrifice my child, my son, my only son at this point in time. The one I've waited over 86 years of my life to have a child. The one who... We have, we have gone through trials and tribulation. I was asked to leave them and to come back to them and check on them. And so what was the answer of Ismail? He said, Oh my father, do exactly as you have been commanded. And inshallah, by the permission of Allah, you'll find me of the patient ones. And some of the scholars, they talk about why did he not say, you'll find me of the patient ones inshallah. Right, because this is our normal lingo. Right? So instead it said, Inshallah, you will find me of the patient. So but Allah's permission is greater, right? The permission of Allah, but Allah's will. Because if it was up to my will, my heart can shake, my heart can tremble. I might say yes, but when it comes to the crunch, I might buckle, as they say. And I may turn away and I might run and fear for my life. The shaitan may may enter with whispers into my heart. So he said, by Allah's permission. So Allah's permission is the one that will give me sabr and patience, inshaAllah. So the example of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and patience and the trust in Allah by both the father and the son is a brilliant and amazing example for us. He was 86 years of age. It was his only son and trial after trial in his life he faced and he continued to endure. You know, for most people, for most people, it is easier to sacrifice your own life rather than that of your children. Uh, 
you know, indeed you'd put your own life on the line to protect your children. And this is the case, subhanAllah, not with just Muslims, but non-Muslims as well. And so Ibrahim السلام, was asked to sacrifice his most beloved and dearest of possessions in this life. And this reminds us of our purpose in this dunya. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in the Quran, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu, in Surah Al-Saf, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu, O you who believe, Hal adullukum ala tijaratin tunjikum min adhabin alim? Shall I call you to a bargain, a trade, tijara? Tunjikum min adhabin alim, that will save you from the torment of hell? Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is drawing to our attention a small price. If you pay it, tijara, you'll be saved from something great. What is this? Tu'minuna billahi wa rasulihi. وَتُجَاهِدُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بِأَمْوَالِكُمْ وَأَنفُسِكُمْ ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ He said, it is that you believe in Allah تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِ And his messenger And you fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala With your lives and your wealth بِأَمْوَالِكُمْ وَأَنفُسِكُمْ Actually with your wealth and then your lives So even if you were to give everything up All your wealth, all your life for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah tells you it is a bargain, it is a cheap price to pay for saving you from the torment of Jahannam. Everything around you that you own and you have, including your own life, is still a small price, a bargain. And this is the best thing for you if only you knew, if only you can comprehend, if only you can fathom that this is the case. So after all of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with Ibrahim alayhi salam about to sacrifice his son, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we called out to him, O Ibrahim, you have fulfilled the dream. So when Ibrahim alayhi salam and his son Ismail were about to, to, to make the sacrifice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called out and we know the story that he sent down a ram and this is why we sacrifice you know, a sheep or a ram or, or an animal in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, you know, and we do qurban and adhiyah um, around the, the, the time of uh, hajj and, uh, and Eid al-Adha so he fulfilled the dream so what are the additional lessons around you know, this point, number four you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I've not created the jinn and mankind except to worship me so remember this is our purpose in this life it is not for the accumulation of wealth. It is not for the increasing in families, right? And, and, and your genealogy. It is not for having more children. It is not for, you know, having the most luxurious cars and wearing the finest of clothing, right? Or building homes. It is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Illa li'abudun. This is your purpose of existence in this world. So everything you do needs to be anchored back to this purpose. And really, if you do this with yaqeen, with, with, with certainty and clarity in your mind you will find you know your, your life takes an entirely different trajectory from that which we have been accustomed to and that which we have been influenced by in the society around us the other major point we take away from this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need blood nor flesh of any child like Ismail or otherwise right it adds or subtracts nothing to the dominion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah mentions the Surah Al-Hajj. He said, it is not their meat nor their blood that reaches Allah. It is your piety that reaches Him only. So it is only your piety and your taqwa that reaches Him. And so, like our test and life on this, sorry, like our life on this earth, everything is a test. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, 
الذي خلق الموت والحياة ليبلوكم أيكم أحسن عمله وهو العزيز الغفور It is he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He created life and death Created life or death and life To test you as to which of you will be best in good deeds Verily Allah is exalted in might of forgiving And so the amazing thing is That all of this, subhanAllah Our lives and our death is part of the test And so for Ibrahim to offer in sacrifice his son Ismail to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He is only giving back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is his What is his and this life, despite the challenges and the procreational instinct that we have within us to want and to love and to have affection and to increase our children and to and to build, you know, through the survival instinct, you know, wealth and accumulate wealth, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us this is the natural inclination of mankind. But Allah guides us in the opposite direction to that which He loves. And He says, What is best for you is that you believe in Allah and you strive in a path of Allah with your wealth and your lives. You give everything if need be. And there are many verses say, if your wealth, if your family, if your children, if your, if the trade which you, you know, fear decrease in, if your houses are more beloved to you than Allah and His Messenger and striving in His cause, then wait for Allah's decision. So again, my brothers and sisters in Islam, at this time of of Eid al-Adha and the Eid of sacrifice, we want to learn these lessons to implement in our lives. Uh, you know, to 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 correct any or readjust any view that we have towards this life that has made us, um, you know, start to really embed, you know, um, and build in this life. You know, the Prophet ﷺ said that the, the example of our life compared to the Akhirah should be like the, the, the traveler through the desert who stops under the shade of a tree for a small moment before he continues. That's this dunya compared to the expanse of the Akhirah. So inshallah ta'ala we want to fulfill you know, that, that example. Lastly, inshallah ta'ala, and what I want, by extension, after Ibrahim alayhi salam was commanded by Allah to grow with his son, they built the house of Allah. They were commanded to build the Kaaba. And the Kaaba, obviously, which we circumambulate the, the Kaaba we, 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 seven times each time we go and we visit. Um, when Ibrahim السلام, built the Kaaba, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered him to make the Adhan and to call people to Hajj. Ibn Abbas, he narrates on this issue, he said, Ibrahim said, O Lord, how can I convey this to people? And I was, how can I invite people when my voice will not reach them? Obviously, it's in the middle of a desert, there's no one around, right? They haven't seen people in forever. And it was said to him, so Ibn Abbas continued, it was said to him, call them and we will convey it. So it was given to Ibrahim alayhi salam um, and, and, and remind him, you make the call and upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for the, the, the conveyance of that call. In other words, you do what you've been asked. And this is a response that we need to have. We need to understand that what is upon us is to respond to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is upon him whether it be the victory the conveyance of a message the entering of the heart of someone that you're giving da'wah to so we need to carry this deen and carry this da'wah we need to seek to establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even if it's a monumental task we invite people to Islam we go to work to try attain our rizq why? 
We do it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded that it's done. Even if you think it's a it's a huge task and it's a difficult one. And the rest is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ibrahim, so Ibn Abbas in his narration of his story, he continued to say that Ibrahim stood up and he said, O mankind, your Lord has established a house, so come and make pilgrimage to it. And the mountains lowered themselves so his voice would reach all the regions of the earth. And even those who were still in their mother's wombs or their father's loins. In other words, they did not exist yet. They would hear the call. And the response came from all the cities, the deserts and the countryside. And in some narrations, they all responded, لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَيْكَ We hear you, Allah. We hear at your service, O Allah. And those whom Allah decreed will make the pilgrimage until the day of judgment. And did not the call of Ibrahim reach you, my brothers and sisters in Islam? How many of us continue to make hajj and pilgrimage to the blessed house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the call reached humanity, everyone who was going to visit the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala up until the day of judgment heard this call and it reached them all. So inshallah ta'ala, we, we understand that part of and you know, having this trust and tawakkul and carrying a message of Islam regardless of its consequence, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is responsible for the outcome, is that we must speak the truth regardless of what, what others say, what others do, or any fears that we have. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, when we're 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 afflicted with a calamity or afflicted with, with a difficulty, he mentions Whoever fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has piety in God consciousness, then Allah will provide a, dif- a way out of all difficulty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide a way out of all difficulty. And he will give him sustenance and risk from places he was ne- he, he never thought possible. And whoever places his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah is sufficient for him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient for him. So inshallah ta'ala we ask for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to, 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 to gain from these wonderful lessons of Ibrahim alayhi salam and his wife Hajar and his son Ismail. May Allah be pleased with them all on this blessed occasion, in this blessed month, on this blessed, on this blessed night, the night of Arafah. And inshallah ta'ala I'll remind you before closing my brothers and sisters in Islam that tomorrow is the 9th of Dhul Hijjah and it is the day of Arafah and the Prophet Muhammad was asked about fasting on this day and he said it expiates your sins for the previous year and the coming year and this was narrated by Muslim so inshallah ta'ala do not let this opportunity pass and inshallah ta'ala we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides helps and protects us and helps the Muslims that are suffering day and night by the brutality and the tyranny and the oppression of those tyrants around the world, as well as the human beings who are suffering under this COVID experience. Wa wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.